Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute of medical advice of physicians. You may review the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. Hello, everyone. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome to Bone Talk. Joining me today is Dr. Connie Weaver, Distinguished Research Professor at San Diego State University's School of Exercise and Nutritional Sciences. Dr. Weaver has been involved in NIH and USDA-funded research studies of diet interventions for over 30 years. She has led many randomized control trials in children and adults with health and disease risk reduction outcomes, especially related to bone and heart. She has focused on mineral absorption and metabolism and subgroup differences, and her work has contributed to setting nutrient requirements for adolescents in North America. She has also been involved in creating guidelines for best practices in human nutrition research, programs for children, nutrient recommendations, and food policy guidance. Today, we're excited to delve into the critical role that nutrition plays in building and maintaining strong bones. This includes specific nutrients and foods that fuel good bone health and actionable strategies to incorporate them into your own diet. Dr. Reaver was also a former board member trustee of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. And so I'm delighted to talk to you again, Dr. Reaver. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. So let's dive in. I'll say, when it comes to bone health, what are the key nutrients that our listeners should have on their nutritional radar? Well, bone is a living tissue, so all essential nutrients are important to build and maintain bone as it is with any other tissue. But two nutrients have received the most attention with bone, and that's calcium and vitamin D. In fact, it's they are such staples that it's the standard of care. So that any research done starts with the control group has at least calcium and vitamin D because every physician is supposed to make sure their patient has enough calcium and vitamin D. And that's an integral part of dietary guidance for Americans as well. That's really important. And I think once people go to the BHOF website, or they get information from their doctors, they might understand that calcium and vitamin D are really those essentials. And we've talked a lot about the fact that some people have difficulty getting calcium from their diet, and that there are plenty of ways to do that these days, which is great. And also the whole vitamin D issue, considering we all wear sunblock now, as we should, but getting it from sunlight is harder, given that we're wearing sunblock out when we're outdoors. And so we might need to kind of up that level of vitamin D that we're taking. So we know that calcium, as you said, calcium and vitamin D are those kind of essential nutrients. Are there other lesser known nutrients that also contribute to bone health that people should be aware of? 
there are. All the essential nutrients, as I mentioned, are important for bone. But some of the ones to really think about are the minerals. The bone mineral is made of calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, especially. So we don't worry about phosphorus as much typically because most Americans get enough phosphorus, although there are certain groups that may not. But magnesium is one of those marginally suboptimal nutrients. So women get about two-thirds on average of the recommended intakes in men about three quarters. So we always are functioning on this suboptimal level. And magnesium is important enough, an integral part of mineral, that you need to think about getting enough magnesium. And then protein, high quality protein is really important. Well, that's really interesting. And as you said, when we're looking more about solutions to managing diseases or preventing of diseases these days and nutrition, people are much more aware of that. You know, I think that's why it's really important to talk through the ones that make the most difference because sometimes we see things on the market that, you know, they claim all of these great things are going to improve your bone health or it's going to take away all of your menopause symptoms or it's going to do all of these things. And not all of that is backed by science. So it's really interesting to just kind of focus on those ones that, as you said, are, are so important. I want to add one more essential nutrient. There's also very good evidence for bone health for potassium. and people are way below the recommended intakes for potassium. So if you really concentrate on calcium, vitamin D, magnesium, potassium, and protein, you're in pretty good shape. We'll talk about some other things as we go forward. Yeah, that's really good. So potassium, I think of bananas are a good source of potassium, I think, right? And so but you said magnesiums that we we only get about two thirds. Is it because we're not eating the right foods that have magnesium in it? Or is it just sort of a natural thing for women to be deficient in magnesium? So maybe let's take these few especially important nutrients and talk about where they you get them from each one. Right. So starting with calcium, half to three quarters of the calcium in most people's diets around the world come from dairy products. So if you don't get the recommended three servings of dairy a day, then you have to really work at some other source. There's some in certain plant foods, but the content is so low that it takes a ridiculous amount of servings to make up for one cup of milk as a right. replacement. So you about have to go to fortified foods or supplements to get your calcium if you don't consume three servings of dairy a day. And so a rule of thumb, a cup of milk or a cup of yogurt or one and a half ounces of cheddar cheese has about 300 milligrams of calcium. And so if you're recommended three for each one of those servings you don't get, you got to look for 300 milligrams of calcium somewhere else, either yeah. in a fortified food or a supplement. Then let's go to vitamin D. And you mentioned you can synthesize active vitamin D in your skin if you're outside in the sun. But there's so many reasons. You brought up sunscreen. 
if you are covered with clothing, if you are working inside or staying inside during the peak hours of sunlight during the day, or you're in latitudes during winter months that the sun isn't directly aimed at your skin. All of those reasons might make you inadequate for vitamin D. Right. So again, dairy is fortified. Milk is fortified with vitamin D. So that's where you get most of your vitamin D. And if you're missing dairy, then you have to think about fortified foods or supplements. And there are some beverages fortified with vitamin D as well as calcium. So then on to magnesium. Magnesium and potassium are rich in fruits and vegetables, but also dairy. <laughs> so if you aren't consuming dairy or your five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, then you're likely low in potassium and magnesium. Magnesium is also present in whole grains and dark green leafy vegetables. But there are people that don't consume these products, you know, right. the whole grains and the nuts and the dairy and the fruits and vegetables. So then you really ought to think about supplements if you're getting inadequate amounts of magnesium and potassium. And protein, many Americans have adequate amounts of protein, but high quality protein is from meats and dairy products. And elderly tend not to have as much protein as they need always. And that can compromise muscle before bone even. So you can get muscle wasting that's known as sarcopenia. And the biggest forces on your bones that encourage your maintenance of bones is your muscle. So you have sort of two strikes against you if you don't have enough protein to support muscle mass, then in turn bone mass. So there's really important, there's so much to unpack there in what you were saying, Connie. And I remember when you were on the board and we sort of were talking about how does BHOF, then NOF, go about educating people about nutrition. And it was very much the, if we're eating a healthy, well-balanced diet, then we should be able to get the nutrients we need from our diet. And then, you know, again, we counseled and only get supplements for the shortfall in your diet. But as you said, there's so many choices today and there's so many weird diet, you know, fad diets that are out there that make people eliminate certain fruits or vegetables or proteins or fats or whatever it is. And, and then that's really where we get into the mess of, oh, we might be deficient in something. A good starting point is to go to myplate.gov and print out your own personalized recommended food guidance. And so that has three servings of dairy and five servings of fruits and vegetables and so forth. So that's a good starting spot. And if you dig deeper into that, it can give you alternatives for the different foods, for the nutrients that you need. So that would give most people good advice for the nutrients they need. But then NOF and now BHOF, as you said, has taken it a step further and identified the strength of the evidence of the literature for each of these nutrients on bone health. So I was part of a group that 
a writing group that looked at nutrients, the evidence for nutrients for building peak bone mass, for example, and calcium and physical activity got A grades for the amount and consistency and the quality of evidence. And then second was dairy and vitamin D. They weren't as consistent. There weren't as many trials. And everything else had a lower grade of quality of evidence because it's just less studied. Right. Yeah. And that's it. You know, there's so much that we still don't know. And the good thing is that there are more studies being done every day about nutrition in general across the spectrum, not just about bone. But when those come out, those obviously can help inform what we tell people or have them help them understand about osteoporosis and bone health and making sure that's it. I love that you brought up the myplate.gov. So BHOF has become an official partner with them. And so we actually have links available Mm -hmm. on our website directly to those resources that you mentioned. And I'll make sure that those are included in the notes with this podcast as well. So listeners, when you tune in, you'll be able to just click on the links that go along with this podcast and be able to follow up because those kind of tools are really useful. And I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed with trying to figure out what's right in our diet and how to make sure that we're getting everything we need. But there are these fantastic tools available that, you know, just help guide you through, hey, check this off if you've consumed this today, or if you need this. And that can kind of get us to a healthier place. So, you know, we talked about again, the different types of diets and I was joking and and telling our team that I recently, within the last year, about a year and a half now, been trying to be pescatarian because I felt I had consumed way too much meat during my early years. And so I was looking at more of a plant-based diet type thing. And I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who gained 10 pounds after I became vegetarian versus versus being healthier. But I know for me, I was overcompensating. I, I still do. I overcompensate with carbohydrates right? instead of some of those other nuts and the you know whole grains and things we need. So for plant-based diet, for again, those people who maybe are vegan and not just vegetarian and you know non-pescatarian... Are there essential nutrients that they sort of miss besides the protein that we've talked about? So you don't usually get in trouble until you take away dairy. Okay. If you have a plant forward, especially, or a plant-based diet that includes dairy products, then you get the bone-building nutrients Okay. and the high-quality protein. But... Milk is fortified with vitamin D. It's your best available source and concentration of calcium. And it's got, you know, like a fourth of the magnesium you need, a third of the potassium, all those essential nutrients we're talking about building bones. So if you eliminate dairy, then you need to become really educated on how you get these nutrients. And for calcium, you really can't make it up unless you go to fortified foods and or supplements. So fortified foods, probably the most commonly thought of are the plant-based beverages, you know, replacements for cow's milk. You can have calcium and vitamin D fortified orange juice, but to think of three cups a day to replace three cups of milk is probably not appropriate for most people. 
So many have turned to plant-based beverages, but you have to really look carefully. Some are very low in potassium, Mm. lower in magnesium, lower in protein. Some of them have almost no protein. They're high in sodium Mm. and they cost a lot more (laughs) to fit in everybody's diets. But here's the thing I concentrate on as a calcium expert is how well do they replace cow's milk for calcium? And largely we don't know. So our lab tested popular commercial producers of soy beverage and found if it's fortified with calcium carbonate, it was equal to milk. If it was fortified with tricalcium phosphate, not as good, still pretty good, but not as good as cow's milk. None of the other plant-based beverages have been tested for calcium absorption. And with lower protein, higher sodium, lower potassium, it may not be the substitute for milk that we think. So you might think about supplements if you exclude dairy before you totally rely on the plant-based beverages until it's tested. So that's really helpful, though, especially for people doing that plant-based diet, as you said, who automatically think, oh, these other fortified non-dairy beverages are, are suitable equivalent. And we often get these questions too. What type of calcium should I be getting if I'm getting if I am taking a supplement? And we do have information about that and the types of different calcium. But when you mentioned that the calcium that is a, in the fortified beverage that does do a good job of equivalencing, is the type of calcium referenced on the package? Or would you have to be an expert like you to know what type of calcium they're using? <laughs> it should be on the package. And can the you remind form. us again? Which was the type of calcium they should look for? So calcium carbonate is pretty equivalent to milk. And that's true for supplements also, as well as fortified beverages. The supplements used to have a lot of qualifications because some of the manufacturers would use adjuvants that would bind the calcium or they would compress the pills too tightly they couldn't dissolve in your stomach and you couldn't absorb as much. But the major manufacturers, I'd say, have solved those problems. So when you're selecting a supplement, you have a lot of choices and mostly they all would work well. You could pick, do you like something that sprinkles on or adds to your beverage or do you want to take a capsule or a soft shoe gel you know it's up to you and the cost you know what's your flavor preference right you can use all those factors sometimes i hear people with kidney issues might do better with calcium citrate than calcium carbonate but in normal healthy people calcium absorption is equivalent. It's the same. Yeah. And the same thing, it's just helping people understand what to look for and where to get the information that's accurate that can help them make those decisions. But as you said, particularly for older people and for those of us who are caregivers to our older relatives or neighbors or friends, it is important to make sure that 
they're getting the appropriate levels they need within their diet. And sometimes it's harder. You know, I've seen a lot of studies where they say it's the loss of sense of smell that impacts why older people eat less than they did at a younger age. And so sometimes giving things that are fragrance inducing helps them to, you know, enjoy eating more. And we need to look at those. We need to make sure that those that we love in our family are getting those essential nutrients to protect their bones as they age. And let's talk about the other end of the spectrum on that. And you referenced peak bone mass, but let's talk a little bit about how parents and grandparents can encourage their children and grandchildren to be sort of building to you know peak bone mass. And what is peak bone mass? Let's start with that, Connie. What is peak bone mass? So you, as you gain height when you're growing up through puberty, you are laying down more bone. You get taller and then the, the bones elongate to accompany your taller skeleton and then they consolidate. So you get more dense bone. So through all that period, you need all the bone minerals that we talked about, the calcium, the phosphorus, the magnesium to make the mineral deposited in the protein strands in the connective tissue. So that's why you need all those nutrients as you're building bone. And peak bone mass is what's your ultimate highest amount of bone mass. So it's not exactly when you get your adult height. It's a little bit later because your bones are still consolidating. But you don't get more bone after that. You are within your genetic potential at, at a maximum. So then your challenge is to hold on to that bone for as long as you can, as much as you can. So it's really a great strategy to build up as much bone mass as you can to the peak within your genetic potential, because that's where you can have the biggest bang for your buck. So parents and grandparents, you're models for your children. So the best thing you can do is eat a good diet and exercise, have a lot of physical activity and forces on those bones so that the children model after that. Because once they hit puberty, they're more likely influenced by their peers. And so you want those good habits formed. So they're the ones influencing their peers. Yeah. But that's when fall off and milk consumption occurs is right at the time where they need the most calcium and bone building nutrients. Then they start following their peers and switch to energy drinks or something that doesn't have calcium in it and uh, eliminate some of the dairy products. So we have it all wrong (laughs) for a majority of people. Yeah. And that's what's so scary. I mean, I think Back to in my generation, when I was growing up, we had the Got Milk campaign, you know, the milk mustache campaigns, and we drank whole milk, glasses of whole milk growing up, which was normal. And now, I mean, I don't think I could actually consume a glass of whole milk, but obviously the skim milk and the fat-free milk and all of that are still available to do that. And fortunately, I love other forms of dairy too, but still drink milk. And like the generations don't do that anymore. You know, we don't raise children to think about drinking the dairy products that they need. 
And that can be confusing. And then again, then they don't end up reaching peak bone mass. So they start out with a lower bone density to begin with. And then, as you said, have to maintain that throughout life. So really, I'm excited that we have this information. And I'm also excited that you're working with BHOF and your team of other scientists who are going to help us update that paper that you talked about on the reviewing of all the evidence and sort of giving those best recommendations. So we can remind people that, you know, here's what the science really says about those nutrients and those minerals and that we need for peak bone mass. So I don't know that it'll change probably too much, but it'll be interesting to see how the science has evolved, don't you think? Oh, I think so, too. And that was a really impactful paper. And now that it's like nine years old, to have the same impact going forward, even if little was changed about the advice, it needs to be updated so people know it's current. But, you know, the way of evaluating the evidence has changed greatly. So now all the studies are evaluated for strength of evidence and risk of bias. So we'll apply all those new tools to the updating of the paper. On a personal note, a practical thing I did as a mom when I raised three boys was say, okay, we have milk with meals. And then I wasn't too picky about whatever they drank outside of the meals. They got that foundation You know, if they have three meals a day and a glass of milk with each one, there's your three cups. And then they can do whatever else they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that's really good. And again, being able to do that. I know we've gotten questions too, though. There was this, it's interesting within the nutrition world. And I know you have to deal with this every day where those of us who are consumers just see it in peaks and valleys, but there was this whole movement away from milk. And, you know, again, some of these sort of far off studies or smaller studies that were saying that, you know, milk was bad for you. And it's like anything else, right? Where fat's bad. Oh, and then fat's good. And oh, wine is good for you. Oh, wine is bad for you. And all of these things. So I know there was that period where, where parents were steered away from milk. And I know you don't have the science kind of in the studies in front of you, but can you talk about that a little bit? Because again, as a calcium expert, you kind of have played in that space for decades now. So I would say the science is pretty solid about the important role of dairy in bone. It's more of opinions or faith, you know, not science approaches that uh, have created a kind of a resistance to milk. It's odd how we accept things that aren't evidence-based sometimes, but, you know, they just aren't related to the evidence. If you start saying, well, only babies of any species drink milk, (laughs) you know, what kind of science is that? Right. Right. That's That's right. Observation. And these animals that maybe don't drink milk after weaned are probably consuming grasses and things that are rich in calcium because they have the ability to extract the calcium out of the plants. But we can't eat bushes 
and right. trees and leaves and extract the calcium out of it. We don't have the right enzymes and things. So we need dairy ever since we had the agriculture revolution and cereal crops became our main calorie source because the fruit of a plant, which are the cereals, are the lowest part of the plant that has calcium. So when we used to be nomads and run around and eat berries and nuts and plants, they had a lot more calcium in the diet. So dairy wasn't as critical. But when we started having agriculture and raising cereal crops, then our diet went from about 3,000 milligrams of calcium a day down to 500 wow. milligrams a day. And then dairy became really important because we got osteoporosis when we only had 500 milligrams of calcium a day. Right, right. I love that because, again, the headlines that grab people, and having had my career in public relations before this, I know the influence that that can have. They're looking for something controversial or interesting or things like that. So oftentimes right. that's what we read. And then none of us know enough to look into the science behind the article that we've seen. I've gotten into the, the habit that we joke about on, the, on our staff meetings where, you know, we'll mention something and then, you know, I saw this and it was a headline and then everyone says, well, what did it say? And be like, oh, I actually didn't read past the headline. I only right. know that the article said X. And so it really is important that we look at the story behind the story to really get to what's important. So I love that, you know, confirming for our listeners that all of the science proves that dairy and milk is good. And um, we should be able to make sure that our families and ourselves are getting enough of that. So that's really critically important. So for people with higher risk of osteoporosis, honey, how can targeted nutrition help to mitigate the chances of developing the disease? You know, many of our audiences that come to us are trying to prevent it. So how can nutrition play that kind of helpful role? So think about sort of structure function relationships with these bone minerals. You can't synthesize these minerals in your body. You have to have them coming in from the diet. And we have a certain amount lost in our urine and stools every day. They're called the obligatory losses. It's just the way our bodies work. We can't stop them altogether. So some calcium is never absorbed, passes out in your stools. Some of it that's absorbed is re-excreted into the gut and passes out. Some is lost in your sweat. There's all kinds of ways you can't stop some loss of these minerals. So your blood has to maintain the constant level of these minerals. So if it doesn't have it from the diet, it's going to take it from your bones. And so chronically, day after day, you're extracting these minerals from your bone to provide what you need in the blood when your diet's not providing it. So that's why diet's so important, is to help protect those bones from having to supply the nutrients that your diet doesn't have into your blood. So that's how it works. But there are some new, rather new, exciting research that has some 
I wouldn't call them magic bullets exactly, but some health promoting constituents that help you utilize and retain the calcium better in your bones. And they don't replace your need to have calcium in your diet, but they help you utilize it a little better. And that's prebiotic fibers is one. So if you take prebiotic fibers, which means you your body doesn't digest them, they get to your lower gut. And the bacteria there, your gut microbiome, eat them. And they act like food for the microbiome. And that enriches these fiber fermenters that allow you to absorb some calcium in your lower gut. So it helps you utilize the calcium more. And the other class of foods that are receiving a lot of research attention are polyphenol-rich fruits. So polyphenols are like anthocyanins and flavonoids that are brightly colored. Mm -hmm. So berries and prunes. And so studies have come out in the last year on prunes and blueberries, for example, that have stop the bone loss in postmenopausal women. That's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, they help you utilize the calcium better. They have fiber in them that help with your gut microbiome. They have other kinds of bioactives. We don't necessarily know how they work, but they're rich in potassium, some yeah. magnesium, all these essential nutrients. So make some of your fruits and vegetables, these polyphenol-rich berries and prunes every day, and look for prebiotic-soluble corn fiber, for example, different kinds of fibers that you can sprinkle on your foods or take as capsules. They can help you with your bones. That's really great, because like you said, I mean, there's sometimes there's only so much that people can consume. So if we are keeping the most essential nutrients in the good foods that we consume, that's going to be better overall for our health. And so that makes sense that, you know, that's an interesting, exciting area of exploration with the nutrition to say, you know, if people are eating whatever healthy foods they're eating, how do we help them keep the most important nutrients from those healthy foods and do more with them that's really great progress. So that's exciting. And I know that, again, I find it fascinating, the whole nutrition world and how much of an impact what we eat has on our overall health and well-being. It's the same kind of things we see with exercise, right? We're told a million times, and all the science proves, movement is something that is essential to keeping us healthy. And we're told a million times that eating a well-balanced diet, like you said, with calcium and fruits and vegetables and leafy greens also keeps us functioning at our optimal. And yet we, and when I say we, I say me, struggle with that still, you know, that really all we really have to do is follow the science for what really works and keeps us optimal. So thanks for sharing this about the nutrition aspect of it, because it's really an area that we get questions about all the time at BHOF. And I'm delighted again, like we said, that we're working on updating that peak bone mass paper because it's so relevant for young people, but it's relevant for the the parents too and the grandparents to sort of help, you know, deliver that and make healthy choices. And as you said, model those healthy choices 
for individuals. So I'm sure we'll have you back on for another podcast, <laughs> Dr. Weaver, because this is, again, such an important topic. But thank you so much for joining to me today. And uh, we really appreciate all that you're doing to study in this area and to improve the knowledge of all of us in this area and bringing that knowledge to the people who are making policy decisions about nutrition. And so that's equally as important. We'll definitely have all of the links to the things that we talked about in this episode with the episode notes for this topic. And we'll have links and resources to materials associated with you and your background and the work that you're doing at in San Diego. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy, please do visit us at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. And please do two things to help us spread the news about this important topic. Make sure you subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And please share the link to Bone Talk with your families and friends so that they too can learn about these important topics. Thank you again to my guest, Dr. Connie Weaver. Thank you for all you do and getting the word out at BHOF. Great. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel BHOF's mission with financial support, visit bonehealthandosteoporosis.org.